We are what we came from. In the movie version of The Shift, I have a brief discussion with several of the characters about this key concept. Everything in the material world must be like what it came from, including each and every one of us. In the film, I refer to a slice of apple pie on the plate, asking, What is that one piece of pie like? The obvious answer is that it's like apple pie because it must be like what it came from. This is a familiar concept if you think of blood being drawn for a diagnostic test. A small syringe of blood provides medical practitioners. Medical practitioners with information about the entire supply of the person it was drawn from. Why? Because the sample must be like what it came from. I extend this logic to myself and you as well. Sly said, since I didn't come from my parents, it isn't a logical conclusion to state that I must be like they are. Since I didn't come from my culture, my religion, or anything in this world, it isn't necessarily so that I must be the same as my surroundings or my society. But since I did come from an invisible energy source that some call God or Tao or Divine Mind, then I must be like what I came from. My conclusion about my origination is that I came from spirit. And my true essence is that I'm what I came from. I'm a divine piece of God. I'm first and always a spiritual being, inextricably connected to my source of being. Robert Burns summed this up po poetically in his poem, New Year's Day, written in 1791. The voice of nature loudly cries, and many a message from the skies, that something in us never dies. The voice of nature loudly cries, and many a message from the skies, that something in us never dies. That which is formless cannot be destroyed, the formless aspects of all beings exist in eternity, in impervious, impervious to beginnings or endings. The truth seems to be that our essence is eternal and it is only the physical body that appears to come and go in a cycle of birth and death. What we call birth and death are actually as inseparable as two sides of a coin, or daytime and nighttime. The question where I, the question where did I come from, is really only addressed to that, to that I, that is the physical body, but that physical aspect originated in non-beingness, non-beingness. We are exactly like the great Tao or God, and we have the freedom to make choices. Some of our choices cause our link to source to become 
contaminated and rusty. One of those lackluster choices is believing that the expression of God through our physical self is an end point or the ultimate rather than an opportunity to choose how to express this gift. In this manner, we edge God out and create an ego-driven life. The great lesson in this philosophical journey is to recognize our primary identity as a spiritual being who is eternal and therefore impervious. impervious impervious therefore impervious to both birth and death our physical self is an expression in the form of the energy of our spiritual essence our real self is the loving observer of our sensory experiences our real self is the loving observer of our sensory experiences in other in order to fully harmonize with that essential nature, we must be dedicated to expressing this its energy and be fully aware of the sacred choice we are making. For some, that will mean becoming more like God while temporarily housed in their body. For others, it will be creating God-like expressions of beauty, purpose, and wisdom in form. The human voyage in bodily form is barely a parenthesis in the eternity of our real life, of our real self. When the parenthesis closes, we are truly, we are fully re-immersed in spirit sense and materialized self. We are on that round trip that Lao Tzu refers to in his famous line from the fourth verse of the Tao Te Ching. Returning is the motion of the Tao. In the film version of the shift, I quote from the T.S. Eliot poem, Little Gidding. We shall not cease we shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to alive where we started and know the place for the first time but before we shed our physical body and complete this return trip we can begin to understand our original nature by making an effort to be more like what we imagine our source of being to be. One way to conceptualize this is to imagine looking through a viewfinder that provides a clear picture of creative source. Through these lenses, we see how it thinks, feels, and behaves. This view of our source gives us a clear view of our own true self. Understanding the answer to where did I come from involves, more than anything else, attempting to live from a perspective that's in 
rapport with our original nature. We must become more like the spiritual nature of our origin by recognizing the expression of divine consciousness that is our physical being. We in we in turn make the choice of how to express that divine spirit. How spirit appears to be. So often our physical world doesn't seem to be very spiritual, in spite of our having originated from spiritual essence. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow expressed this dilemma in his poem, A Plasm of Life. No, no, A Soul of Life. Like he is real, like he is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art, to dust returnest, was not spoken of the soul. Like he is real, like he is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art. Do to dust returnest was not spoken of the soul. The poet speaks of your life and mine as something beyond the physical, which he describes as dust. We are all something other than what we identify with our senses. There is no such thing. As a grave for our essential essence, our spirit, but we may disregard and thus lose touch with it. In fact, that's a pretty common situation for all of us during different periods of our lives when we choose to put our physical self in charge. I love how. Another of my favorite poets, Rabin Dranath Tagore, was able to describe in two short lines what he thought was our most important spiritual lesson. God loves to see in me, not His servant, but Himself, who serves all. God loves to see in me, not His servant, but Himself, who serves all. The important questions we should be asking ourselves are: Am I like God now? Am I getting closer? Am I there yet? If our true essence is spirit, and we believe that is where we come from. It seems to me a simple task to reconnect to this authentic part of ourselves. One way to do this is to shift our thoughts and actions to the ways in which we imagine creative energy thinks and acts when its energy materializes in forms. We need to be more like spirit appears to be. Since this is what we came from, our 
divinity is our dis destiny, regardless of how we've neglected it over the years, God or the great Tao, which we are all a part of, simply waits patiently for us to be like it is. I imagine that the all-creating spirit, if needed, if indeed it had any wants for us, would want us to realize that. An inspiring example of this is found in the quiet mind, saying of White Eagle. Your personal contribution towards the great plan for the evolution of man is to dwell continually upon the love of God, to look always into the light and so train yourself to recognize God's godliness. God's, God's goodness working through everyone else. I don't believe that God is concerned with whether or not we show our love by building a magnificent edifices for worship. Edifices edifices for worship by attending services or through practicing rules laid down by religious organizations. It seems to me that if God were to speak to us, the message would simply be to love each other and offer rever reverence rather than enmity toward all of life reverence rather than enmity. The journey we've undertaken that has led us to this moment in this body encompasses something I'm calling from. We come from something, somewhere, somehow, and it's a mystery to our little human minds, which tends to think in cause and effect ways. My conclusion is that if we are here now, there must have been a before, and suddenly there will be an after. I do, however, acknowledge the possibility that there is no before, no after, and no timeline. Everything may indeed be complete and all happening at once with no time, no space, no befores and no afters, but I can't write from that perspective because my little human mind wants to make it all somewhat logical and comprehensible. Therefore, I'll describe how spirit appears to be. Two distinct journeys. The first is the journey <clears throat> from homeless, from formless pure spirit into form and the second is the journey from a subatomic, subatomic particle to birth. From formless, pure spirit into form, non-being to being. To write about non-being as the place we originate from requires me to imaginatively speculate 
on what the spiritual world of non-being is. The way I do this is to imagine a divine consciousness who's in the business of manifesting form out of nothingness, imagining a creation without a creator. is a lot like trying to imagine a watch without a watchmaker. Observing creation every day, I cannot help but contemplate that it is from seeds that blossoms come. From blossoms come fruit, and from small acorns come giant oak trees. Despite my awe, and lack of pure understanding. My curiosity about the world of a pure spirit continually plays with summarizing the before and after, or where from and where to questions. Non-being is a deliriously paradoxical. Non-being is a deliriously paradoxical state to contemplate because I know in my heart that it surely exists, yet I only have my beingness with which to do the contemplation. <clears throat> I've already described my self-limitations concerning understanding the form of my existence. With that in mind, I offer you I offer you what I perceive formless to look like. I conclude that everything is energy, it's all vibration at a variety of frequencies. The faster the vibration, the closer one is to spirit and understanding where we came from. The pen I hold in my hands as I write these words appears to be solid, yet a glance at it through a powerful microscope shows that it's actually a field of moving particles with mostly empty space between those particles. The vibrational, the vibrational makeup of my pen is energy that is slow enough to appear solid to my eyes which can only perceive objects that fits within a certain frequency. I hear the sounds of minor birds as I write, and I know from my limited exposure to the laws of physics that sounds are a faster energy than my solid pen is. The light I see streaming in my window is an even faster energy with tiny particles moving so fast to, as to appear to be green or blue or yellow, depending on how the rods and cones in my eyes are calibrated to pick up these energetic signals. Beyond the frequencies of light are the vibrational energies of thought. Yes, thought is an energy system, 
the highest calibrated frequencies of thought, which are measured through simple kinesiology methods. Kinesiology methods reveal that faster vibrations approach the ultimate in energy vibration. Faster vibrations approach the ultimate in energy vibration, the dimension of spirit itself. The highest vibrational thoughts are aligned with the source energy of the Tao or God. When experienced as thoughts, these faster vibrations create strength, but slower thoughts create a weaker response in kinesiology, kinesiology test, kinesiology test, kinesthetic, kinesiology test. The way this works is when we focus mental energy on a thought aligned with source and raised an arm to shoulder height as a test of our strength, it's difficult for anyone to lower it. When we focus our mental energy on slower frequency thoughts, However, our upraised arm is easily pushed down by another person. <clears throat> when it comes to kinesiology, every negative emotion makes the physical body weaker. These studies are graphic example of the world of non-being, and there are also opportunities to explore the frequencies that harmonize with the vibration of source energy, that field from which all things originate and to which all things return has a feel to it. Based on the research and rumination, ruminations of some research and rumination of some of the most revered beings who have walked this earth. Creation itself isn't an act of violence. It's a pleasurable, joyful act. There doesn't appear to be any fear, shame, blame, anger, humiliation, anxiety, or hatred associated with the workings of the great Tao that seems to be doing nothing and yet leaving nothing undone. Remember that the body we live in 24-7 wasn't created by a human being. It's a creation of God. So it makes perfect sense to me that if our body, God's creation, is filled with negative thoughts, it would be weak, simply expressing a falsehood. Simply expressing a falsehood, weakness, a strong person's arm, expressing the truth always creates a strong physical response because truth is of God. How could creation or the creator create from an untruthful perspective? There is abundant literature based on really 
rigorous research in kinesiology, kinesiology that non being the place that we came from is aligned with energy that is strongest when expressing truth. The highest, fastest vibrating thoughts that will always keep us strong is the energy of love. My conclusion is that non being and love are synonymous. Mysticism and virtually all religions state that the supreme being is love and the only pure truth is love. Some religious some religions trivialize the supreme being by inventing a god in the image and like like likeness of humans. Theirs is a deity of endless nitpicking rules who is easily offended, always being sinned against and prone to anger, revenge and punishment. The love I'm speaking of person personifies non being the love I'm speaking of personify personifies non being accessed and incorporated within us from where we originated. It has no rules, doesn't wish to control, never punishes, and doesn't know how to descend into anti-love expressions. The entire universe as I see it is made of love, and each of us appears to be an individualized expression of the one being of love. Simplified, God is love. I like Ralph Waldo Emerson's description of love as a synonym for God. What an incredibly magnificent concept. This idea of non-being existing as a state of pure, indescribable, bliss and one that is necessary for the act of creation to take place think about it we came from love therefore we must be love in some way since we must be like what we came from Jesus put it this way he who does not love does not know God for God is love pretty basic and very straightforward. Non-being is love. Since we came from non-being, we must be love. But we somehow managed to move away from our original nature. Every thought of non-love is a movement away from where we came from. Every act of judgment, anger, shame, fear, anxiety, and violence is a movement toward not loving and not knowing. God even and not knowing God even an anti-love thought is a movement away from our original nature what was it like to be in that state of pure love awaiting our transition into be be in beingness into beingness what was it like 
to be in that state of pure love awaiting our transition into beingness. What were we doing? Once we acquire form, these questions are almost impossible to contemplate. However, here is my conceptualization of what non-beingness feels like before we journey into this world of form and boundaries. Nothingness. The one thing we can certainly agree on is that we had nothing. There was nothing to own, nothing to do, nothing to fight, nothing to worry about. We were nothing in physical terms. This idea of nothing is really difficult for us. We are entered a world where something has replaced nothing. We are form replaced non-form in our material world. Owning nothing and doing nothing are generally interpreted as sins of failures. Sins of failure. Yet our true essence is most comfortable with nothing. It seems to me that the most efficient way to know and experience where we came from is to make very effort to reconnect to nothing by creating the experience of no attachments, no things, and no thoughts. We do this by simply being, rather than doing and accumulating, as human Melville is believed to have said, as Herman Melville is believed to have said, God's one and only voice is silent. Silence. God's one and only voice is silence, and this is an in a, in, this is an invitation to experience our original world of nothing. All of creation emerges from the silent void, as does every sound. Every bit of light comes from nothingness. Every thought emerges from non-thought. There is a Zen proverb that reminds us that it's the silence between the notes that makes the music. There is a Zen proverb that reminds us that it's the silence between the notes that makes the music. Without silence to interrupt the sounds, there can be no music. It would be only one long continuous tone. But of course, even the long tone originated in the void. Nothingness is equivalent to the expression of zero, mathematically. It can't be divided. It has no empirical value. And if we multiply anything by it, we get a sum of nothing. Yet, without the invisible zero, mathematics itself would be impossible. Before we came into this material world, our essence was nothing. We had no things encumbering us. No rules, no duties, no money, no parents, no hunger, no fear, nothing at all. When I wrote essays 
on the 81 verse of the Tao Te Ching for my book, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. I was struck by how much emphasis Lao Tzu placed on knowing the great Tao by giving up everything, letting all letting go of all attachments, doing less, owning nothing, and practicing getting to know God by emptying rather than filling the mind. Almost every great spiritual master tells us to find God in emptiness and to hear God speak to us in silence. So one of the answers to the question of where we come from is nowhere with nothing. We must make the effort to find our way to that peaceful nothingness while we are still in our body. We can empty our pockets or purse, but we especially need to empty our mind and relish the joy of living. Relish, relish the joy of living in our physical world while simultaneously experiencing the bliss of nothingness. This is our origin, just as it is asserted, assured, assuredly, just as it is assuredly our ultimate destination as well. Albert Einstein once noted that everything is emptiness and form is condensed and form is condensed emptiness. <laughs> and according to my teacher Nisargadatta Maharaji, this is real liberation. To know that you are nothing, all your knowledge, including yourself, is liquidated, then you are liberated.